What did people do in the years before they clarified exactly how you pronounce X-I-Z-O-R? They clarified it in the novel itself. Oh, really? Yeah, they had his stupid chair, like, mispronounced his name for no good reason other than to give a phonetic pronunciation. mishap table in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 122 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're talking about creating character backstories with random tables but first the rogue traders regroup after a loss in the dynasty unwarranted campaign and later armored arcana refuses to come out of its shell in the character creation forge so we just got back from thanksgiving but the weekend before that we just got back from PAX Unplugged, and we have not had a chance to talk about it yet. Yeah, so, I don't know, sit back, because we got a lot to say. Well, we would, except we didn't actually get to do much stuff. No, this was the least convention con I've ever been to. Yeah, um, I guess they didn't think that it was going to be that popular, because there were very long lines for everything. Because There just wasn't room to play games, there weren't enough tables, there weren't enough GMs, there weren't enough panels. There, was, there wasn't enough stuff to do for all the people who wanted to do it. Yeah, so... We, our group went, our entire gaming group went. All eight people. We went to, with the goal of signing up for RPGs, uh, we had people go to the line at the appointed time, like sign up started at nine, so we had people in line every morning. Not once was there a game remaining by the time they got there. Right. Meaning there wasn't enough capacity, and because there was no pre-registration for any events, we just got told, nope, sorry, maybe try again in the afternoon. Right. It's not like Gen Con where, you know, weeks or months ahead of time, you could, you know, look through the entire schedule and then actually sign up online and get your little ticket. Uh, you you had to show up the day of. And even when we tried to do that, there just wasn't anything available. Fortunately, our whole gaming group was there. So we just went back to our Airbnb and played a bunch of games. Yeah, it was the most pointless trip to a con yet. <laughs> Although we did decide that we do want to rent houses and play games for a weekend more often. Yeah. I I mean, I saw on Twitter that people were at PAX Unplugged wanting to play games and had no way of getting a group together to play games. Like if you went by yourself or with like one other person, there was just no really easy way to to do that. And like uh, uh, Rudy Basso and James Intracasa, we ran into them from the... Uh, don't split the podcast network. Um, they had tried to play indie RPGs from the like indie RPG like pickup game area. Uh, those were all filled, which had no signups and were supposed to be like drop in, drop out. Yeah, I think we probably should have just staked out a long table at the Chili's down the street and charged people twenty five dollars to run a game. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> it was. I mean, I guess if you went because you wanted to see, like, panels, and by panels, I mean, that's primarily Critical Role or... Acquisitions uh, Inc. Acquisitions Inc., yeah. Because like, because they turned down four out of every five panel submissions. Right. But if you wanted to do that, you had to wait in line to get in. But if you got in, I'm sure, like, that was fun, and that's what you wanted to do, and that was worth it. But if you went to play games, this is, like, probably one of the worst conventions I've been to to play games. Yeah, there were some highlights, though. We did uh, sign up ahead of time with events not run through the con necessarily, but through uh, 2C Gaming, where we played Let's Kill Strahd. Six of us got pre-gen characters and 
tried to see how quickly we could kill the vampire from Curse of Strahd. Uh, how did we do? Uh, two rounds. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we knew what we were doing. <laughs> so the way it works is you choose from pregens when you arrive, and there's you know a big collection of pregens, but none of them are like necessarily built to kill Strahd. Like the paladins have radiant damage, but none of the clerics do. Like there's no sunlight. Well, there's the, there was the uh, guiding bolt, which okay, actually right. turned out to be MVP for us. Yeah, <laughs> a, a guiding bolt crit on Strahd. Right, <laughs> upcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, but like, I mean, we took a monk, a warlock, two paladins, a cleric, like it, it was, you know, we, we, we had a strategy for dealing with a solo monster and that's what we executed. It it didn't matter that it was Strahd. It would have been any solo monster we took down pretty quickly. Right. But, um, the mechanics aside, it was fun because the characterization and the gameplay was facilitated really nicely uh, by Christopher Gray, who I believe is one of the authors of the module itself. Yeah, and um, he he writes a he's an independent writer uh, or a freelance writer. I know he's he's done some stuff for Two C and um, some some other things you've probably heard of. Um, but he was a great DM for that kind of game, and uh, we really had a blast. Yeah, so we'll put a, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Speaking of rolling over difficult encounters, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty and Warrior campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Traders of the His Enduring Light are rescuing a Chartist vessel, Ambition, from a warp reef. And they have just met their first demons, a pair of corn blood letters. As they make their way Wait, to... Were there really two of them? There were two of them. <laughs> I only saw the one because we ran away immediately. Yeah, no, there were two. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as you as you were making your way to the bridge where the uh, surviving crew had holed up, and uh, yeah, so you met them in the stairs, uh, in in a large central stairwell. Uh, they attacked the center of your column. They split your armsmen in half. Uh, Literally, yeah. Cultists uh, also sort of attacked with them. That that decimated your men. Uh, your seneschal tricks was disemboweled by bloodletters, uh, and uh, your character, Archmilitant Trank lost his marbles multiple times throughout the day yeah, actually started shooting people multiple times throughout the day right uh and draco uh the other arch militant uh in charge of away missions says that they have to proceed in the name of the emperor and he sends half the men back to the hangar bay to dig in and cover the rear and the other half are coming with you to the bridge now that we've finally regrouped, we can actually handle the remains of the the warp taint, right? It's essentially uh, tainted cultists, uh, a few ghostly apparitions, but for the most part, you just uh, breach and clear and shoot anything that moves. Yeah, I mean, there's increasing resistance from the chaos-tainted crew. Uh, you're also running into warp wisps, which are uh, souls that died in the warp and yeah, got lost. Yeah, which are garbage things, mechanically, <laughs> because there's no way to hurt them. <laughs> Unless you have a psyker. <laughs> Uh, so they were they were sort of a thing that you guys had to pl- had to figure out and plan around rather than really engage head on. Uh, what we needed to do was have our psyker handle the warp warp wisps over there, and then uh, our heretic sort of literally greased parts of our armor with sacred unguents so we could try to punch them. Yep. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's nothing if it's not a little slapstick. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but you finally overcome the last of the resistance, and you reach the relative safety of the bridge, where you meet um, the highest-ranking surviving member of the crew, First Mate Lazarus. So First Mate Lazarus uh, explains sort of the sequence of events that happened um, in, in more detail now that you're there. Uh, he also explains that he suspects that the ambition was sabotaged, um, given how total their loss of control was. Like, it was, you know, the engines malfunction, the Gellerfield goes down, um, so, like, you know, the the communications between the defense crews are scrambled, and, like, the whole ship is just totally in chaos all of a sudden. Um, it's too much coincidence to be an accident. Also, we don't believe in accidents. We believe in the guiding hand of the Emperor and crappy luck, always. Right, and you also believe in data. <laughs> so you dispatch Doc to go reboot the ship's cogitator, which is almost certainly somewhat corrupted by the warp. But <laughs> And then so is he. Right. <laughs> um, and so he will, he will uh, comb through that data to confirm that suspicion. So while we're waiting, Lazarus explains that there was special cargo for Roth sitting in the primary chapel that was scheduled for a blind drop with with another of Roth's ships. And, of course, where is the primary chapel right now? Oh, um, you know, like another kilometer away. Uh, Yeah, and probably coated in warp taint. Oh, yeah, for sure. So while you're waiting out the warp weirdness, hoping for it to recede, Doc continues analyzing the cogitator data and uh, does indeed corrupt himself in the process, but confirms your suspicion. The ambition was sabotaged. And we'll find out how badly next week. So this week we're talking about randomly generated backstories. So lots of different RPGs have random character generation. You know, obviously rolling for stats, um, which some people love and some people hate. Uh, some games are entirely random in terms of your, uh, you know, rolling your, your stats and, and your combat mechanics. But some have tables available that let you roll to figure out who you are and, and what you've been doing before the game actually starts. Uh, they're a staple of games like Traveler, which is sort of notorious for uh, letting you die before you actually begin to start playing because you randomly rolled that you died. Mm-hmm. That's an event that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think it actually got toned down in later editions of Traveler where they were like, okay, well, now you roll in the mishap table, so instead of just straight up dying, something bad happens, although you can still die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first edition of Eclipse Phase had a, a really great life path character creation system in uh, the Transhuman Supplement, which we sort of loved rolling on. And of course, one of our favorites is Dark Heresy, which is pretty much a random generation for virtually everything. You pick like two things and then all your stats are random. Uh, but then so are things like your eye color and your hair color and what your build is and your name. And your fate. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> basically how you're going to die. Uh, but even games that have very concrete character generation, you know, uh, point by systems and you select your class and your features and all those sorts of things, um, have tables for random backstories. Uh, the latest iteration of this is Xanathar's Guide to Everything uh, for 5th edition D&D, which has quite a few pages of random tables helping you figure out exactly who you are and, you know, how many siblings you have and how you became uh, a fighter in the first place. If you go to the Pathfinder website, there are very lengthy tables uh, available uh, on the Paizo site. 
that also help you figure out uh, all different kinds of little uh, fiddly bits about who you are and, and uh, who your character was before they started the game. Yeah, now that you have Starfinder as well, that's only going to increase the genres that it's available for. So what are some reasons to use random backstories? Because, you know, we spend um, a decent amount of our time on this show <laughs> prescribing backstories for our characters that we build in the Character Creation Forge. Yeah, well, I think first off, uh, randomness can be a lot of fun, especially if you're not talking about the mechanics of how your well your character is going to perform, but you're talking about just figuring out um, bits of demographic data. You know, because even if you do have a ton of ideas for characters, the roles can reveal a character or something about your character that you never would have thought of playing on your own. Yeah, it's also good for fleshing out things that you might not. Like, like you said, that you wouldn't necessarily consider um, as core to a character, but could be interesting flavor. So things like how many siblings or um, what was your birth order amongst those siblings? Um, you know, how did a uh, previous romantic relationship end? What's the status of your relationship now? Yeah, also things that you don't really want to bother coming up with or deciding. Like, I don't usually care how old my character is you know it'll come up you know seven sessions in i'm like oh wait uh i don't know how old am i and i think i usually just end up rolling dice to see how old i am i always get backed into my age by something that happened in the backstory (laughs) so it's like wait okay so if that happened how old would you have had to have been you know like if you served in vietnam you have to be 60 (laughs) (laughs) and then you realize that in real life you're actually old because you're like no i could easily be 30 and have oh no nope (laughs) And uh, depending on the tables that you're using, it can also add to the realism of the game. I mean, that that makes sense. Like the the conceit in Dark Heresy, for example, is nobody picks their own name, right? Like you it's sort of random depending on who your parents are. And sometimes people end up with a name that they really hate. And that's that's characterization. You know, like I hate my name. This is my name. Maybe I go by a nickname instead or maybe I just deal with it and I don't like it. Yep. Or maybe you know, you rolled really well on these tables and you're like, oh, yeah, I get an extra thousand gold pieces or whatever. There is something to be said for having a character who knows that they were lucky. And you as a player now know, hey, I was lucky. I rolled really well on this. Um, and that can carry over into the way that your character views their their own life or their own circumstances. It can really add a motivation. You know, um, I have been given more than other people and so I should be using that for the greater good or that makes me better than other people and so I don't care about them. So we've mentioned a few different systems for how to do random character backgrounds but what are some some sort of ground rules for how to use these systems? Well I think there's two general types. There are the systems that roll backstory and like mechanics like and actual character generation in together. So if you're using one of those, you know, like Dark Heresy or, you know, Traveler, just follow those rules. It'll all be wrapped up in one and at the end you get a character who essentially has a character sheet and a history. But if you're doing those separately, which I think both of us prefer, then just go ahead and ignore the results that you don't like or that contradict previous results, uh, you know, results that don't really make any sense Um, because you're trying to build a coherent backstory. You're not necessarily beholden to these dice while you're, you know, rolling things like how many siblings do you have? Like, it doesn't really matter. And if, you know, it, it says like, 
you're an orphan and you don't know who your parents are um and you know you've been abandoned and alone and also you have seven siblings like if those things don't really work in your head together just ignore it yeah or use those terms loosely you know seven siblings not blood related but you grew up together in that orphanage yeah blood brothers right the other thing is to pick the information that you know or that you want up front Um, go ahead and lock down some of the variables Mm -hmm. so if you know you want to play an elf don't roll randomly for your race just start as an elf right um follow it from that point forward And, and that can go for your class decisions your um like home region it can go for your age or um, details about your family you know if you're playing the orphan don't roll on the table for what your childhood was like if if half the results are going to be idyllic childhood (laughs) (laughs) grew up in a noble's court (laughs) yeah this is probably my favorite part is not necessarily starting completely from scratch and and rolling everything but saying okay here are the things i know that i want to play for this character maybe those are three things right hard-bidden ex-soldier fighter human great okay now i get to discover literally everything else about this character but it doesn't hurt uh the idea that i had right it doesn't screw over the character that i was trying to play in the first place right you're learning how you became a hard-bitten a hard-bitten soldier yeah human fighter yeah so even if you do know the end result like what you are going to be when you emerge as this like new first level or like um you know zero xp character keep those goals in mind as the information is being revealed by these roles and then begin weaving that into a a coherent narrative so so i was born in a castle you know great Uh, maybe that means i'm the child of a noble i I at least at least live in privilege right or if it's i didn't know my parents maybe it turns out uh i was a refugee and then you know that's what led me to uh join the army right and then as you as you continue rolling um, just keep adjusting your story to account for new information. So if you were born in a castle, but you also grew up destitute, maybe you were a child of the staff. Or maybe you... You're a house elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe, you know, I mean, maybe you were in the castle, but not of the castle. Yeah, the dungeons. Well, that or, you know... You grew up like, in the dark. Like a beggar in the streets. <laughs> yeah, it was a big castle. So at each stage, um, each time you have new information about your character uh, and you are adjusting the narrative of their backstory, consider the character's outlook at that particular point in their life, you know, because you tend to make these roles sort of in chronological order. You know, you start out with where you were born and what your childhood was like, and then you move on to like teen years and family. Um, But like, for example, a wealthy child might have been selfish when they were young. And so remember that even if the character that you end up playing, right, the hard-bitten soldier, even if they aren't selfish, um, they were selfish as a child. And how does that affect them now? How does remembering that, oh, when I was a kid, I wasn't a very nice person, you know, I grew up rich and like I didn't understand how good I had it. How does that affect them now after they've been through war? Right. And then also keep in mind um, for GMs that the change in your character might or in a given character might not be be reflected in all the people uh, from that character's background. Mm -hmm. So anybody who only knows that character from their childhood would have a different perception of them uh, compared to what that character is like today. 
Yeah, those are great things to be able to tie in when, you know, an NPC shows up from your history and now you have uh, regrets that you need to deal with or you need to explain to them that, like, I've changed and I'm not a thief anymore. Yeah, I'm a dad now. <laughs> well, not for long. Right. <laughs> and that also helps the player figure out how to interact with his NPC. You know, are they embarrassed of the way that they were, the, the kind of person that they were when they knew this NPC? Are they wistful? Do they miss who they were? So I think maybe rather than telling, we can just show. Um, we got Xanathar's in front of us. Shane, why don't we roll up a backstory? So should we choose what our race and uh, class will be first? Or do you want to roll that as well? I think for us, we can probably just roll them randomly, right? I think there's a supplemental table for race. Okay, so we're going to use the tables that begin in page 71 of Xanathar's Guide. Uh, we're going to start from the supplemental tables to roll race and class, and we'll go from there. So, Ishan, let's get a D100 here for... Our race. Our race. 32. Oh, human. Boring old human. And our class is 75. That is a rogue. Actually, okay. Human rogue. This is getting more interesting. All right. Now let's find out about our childhood. Uh, so, because we're human, we don't need to worry about having half-elf or half-orc parents. But do we know these parents? D100, please. 36. We do. Next up is birthplace. 87. Oh, among people of a different race. That's interesting. Oh. Uh, give me another D100 because on a double zero, we get a strange event when we were born. That's a 10. It's a 10. Okay, so no. That's fine. All right, uh, siblings, give us a D10. Nine. Oh, wow, 1D8 plus three siblings. That's too many. <laughs> well, we can winnow them down. We do a sneak attack. Four. That's not so bad. Four yeah. siblings. Uh, okay, so now if you really want to go all the way through all of these, you can roll occupation, alignment, status, and relationship for each one of these siblings. Hey, let's do it. Oh, wait, okay, if you're a dwarf or elf, subtract two from your old. Well, that's not us. Yeah, let's let's focus more on our family situation. We can come back to our siblings. Okay. Actually, wait, can we do birth order? I think that's, in, that's something that can be important to know. 2d6. Eight. Oh, we're younger. Okay, so we're one of the two younger ones. All right, you ready for family? Let's do this. D100. 38. Single father or stepfather? Okay, so we're a human rogue with four siblings. Uh, we're sorry, one, of the, one of four. Mm-hmm. We're one of the younger ones, single dad. So I'm already beginning to see reasons we may have left, reasons we may have gotten into trouble. Mm, reasons we might have picked up those rogue skills. Yeah. All right, we have an absent parent, so we need to roll a d4 for that fate, which is a three. Ooh, abandoned. So our mother abandoned us, and we were raised by a single father. Wow. I'm curious what our lifestyle will be. 3d6. It's very high, 12. Oh, wow, modest. So we weren't poor. Single dad. So that will inform our childhood home with our single dad and abandoned mother. 74. Large house. So maybe he was low-level nobility? Uh, an arranged marriage, perhaps. She wasn't happy, and so she left. Yeah, I like that idea. All right. Uh, next up, childhood memories. So this is 3d6 plus charisma modifier. 
And uh, I think as a rogue, we're going to have a plus two charisma. Yeah, I was going to say at least a 14. Because we're going to be a swashbuckler. I mean, right, obviously. <laughs> uh, that's an eight. Others saw me as being different or strange, and so I had few companions. Okay. The loner rogue amongst five kids. So maybe it was a close-knit family, right? Mom leaves, close-knit family, but we're the black sheep. Oh, maybe dad is upstanding. Uh, pillar of the community. Uh, and we blame him for mom leaving. So how do we act out? We, you know, start stealing stuff. Well, here's the thing. We need to know a little bit about our background, which there is a supplemental table for that. Should we roll on that or do we pick, do you want to pick one? Uh, there's a criminal background, which would be appropriate, but I feel like there are a lot of these that could actually work. I mean, at this point, noble could work as a background yeah, for us. I like noble background. Let's do that. Let's let's lock in our father was a minor noble. All right. All right. So, so D6. Three. My family recently came by its title, and that elevation thrust us into a new and strange world. Now we know why our mother left. Mm -hmm. She couldn't handle the nobility. So our father was probably... Uh, I, I'm guessing if he were elevated into the nobility, it was probably war heroics. Yeah, I like that. He was gone for a long time, and we were raised by mom at first. And then dad comes back, and suddenly we get this big house. Game switched up. Mm -hmm. Dad is a is a domineering, you know, military kind of uh, great Santini type figure. Yeah, rule of law. You know, mm -hmm. everything was everything in the army was uh, very prescribed, and tries to run home life the same way. So we know why we acted out, uh, why we became an adventurer. We know that we were, you know, sort of a criminal, but why did we become a rogue exactly? Because there's a lot of ways you can act out as a, as a child of minor nobility. Right. So if you think about it, at this point, we have enough information where we could decide this on our own. We could, you know, sort of uh, sit back, let our imagination run wild and, and figure it out. Uh, on our own, or even, you know, write a short story. Or we we, we got one more table. That's right. <laughs> D6 it is. Four. I decided to turn my natural lucky streak into the basis of a career, though I still realize that improving my skills is essential. I see where the conflict came. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, soldiers often have gambling problems. Uh, that's, yeah, that's exactly where I was going. And to see, uh, to come home from the war and see your son sort of going down that same path, uh, maybe spending too much time in gambling halls and dice dens, uh, I could see that being a source of conflict for a domineering father. But I'm so good at it. You know, it's a skill. It's not luck, really. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's that I'm good at this. Right. <laughs> I have expertise in uh, Three Dragon Ante. So we know who we are now, right? We know we're, uh, we know why we became a rogue. We know what our, what our childhood was like, and we know why we left. Now let's find out, what are some events that have happened along the way? Well, first thing we need to know is, how old are we? So we'll roll on the Life Events by Age table, page 69 of Xanathar's Guide. Oh, wow. 64. We are 31 to 40 years old. Which gives us 1d6 life events. Wow. Five. It's been eventful, an eventful life. I don't, I'm that age, and I don't think I have that many life events. Yeah. <laughs> All right. D100 five times. 14. You gained a bit of good fortune. Roll on the boons table. All right. We'll get to that. Okay. So one boon. 74. 
You met someone important. Use the supplemental tables to determine this character's identity and how this individual feels about you. All right. Okay, so we'll do that later. We have a person. 22. You fell in love or got married. If this result, if you get this result more than once, you can choose to have a child instead. So, did we fall in love or did we get married or both? Uh, I don't know, but I think that ties very nicely with that uh, someone important. Oh, I like it. Okay, so maybe we can merge those two together. Let's find out who that is first, and then we'll decide whether we married or fell in love. Sounds good. All right, two more. 76. Oh, we went on an adventure. Roll the adventures table to see what happened. All right. Also an adventure. 15. Oh, another oh. good fortune. All right. So we really were a good gambler. <laughs> I know. That's uh, two boons, an adventure, and a significant other. So let's start with the boons, because that might tell us something about our significant other or adventure. Sounds good. All right. D10. So we got a seven and a nine. Seven, you once performed a service for a local temple. The next time you visit, you can receive healing up to your hit point maximum. Okay, so priest owes us a favor. And nine, you found a treasure map. Oh, maybe that ties in with our adventure. I think I know where our adventure went. (laughs) So again, we could say, you know, our adventure is I went following this treasure map. But why don't we roll on the adventure table and see what we get? Thirteen. Ooh, you suffered a grievous injury. Although the wound healed, it still pains you from time to time. I love that. We chased down our treasure map. Mm-hmm. We were seriously injured in the process. I think that means that we still have that map, and we would like to take another crack at it. I agree. Uh, and maybe we've realized we can't do it alone. Maybe we should get a party together. I also feel like I know who we fell in love with, and it was not a marriage or significant other think we fell in love with one of our adventuring companions oh previously interesting all right so let's roll up this person so first let's look at their alignment (laughs) 12 neutral all right that's fine uh class 62 oh man paladin (laughs) the rogue fell in love with the paladin (laughs) I wonder why it didn't work. Well, let's find out what our relationship status is right now. Oh, boy. It's a 3D4. Three, seven, ten. ten. Friendly. Huh. Okay. All right. Well, okay. paladins. Uh, give us race. D100. We're human. Twelve. Who fell in love with another human. That's fine. Uh, and then let's find out the status of our of our former adventuring companion. 11 alive and well well that's kind of boring that is a little boring i think we should pick something well there's dead and then we can roll on cause of death although that uh is contradictory with having a friendly relationship with them although we could just have fond memories they were friendly when when they they died died. yeah let's do that let's go with dead and cause of death because i think that gives us a little bit more of a tragic backstory oh i think so all right uh so cause of death d12 Three. Killed in battle. Oh my goodness. Mm. This treasure map has cost us our love. Maybe maybe we did marry a paladin and she died chasing that treasure map. With us together. And now, okay, so now how do we feel about this treasure map? Because just a couple minutes ago we were like, oh, we'll get another adventuring party together and chase this treasure. Maybe it's cursed. Maybe we feel like it's a, it's a burden. 
Yeah, I like the idea that we don't we don't know, right? As a player, we say we say maybe this treasure map is cursed, but you know, in game, we feel like it's cursed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What if it's a family heirloom? We discovered it, <laughs> stole it from dad. Well, not stole it, but we we talked to dad about it, and he forbid us from pursuing it. Isn't this the beginning of national treasure? Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the paladin was German, right? <laughs> No, but but so that's that's the story, right? Is like, you know, we find this map, or or our father maybe even comes home with it. It's it's sort of a family thing. He mm-hmm. says, no, it's not worth it. It's too dangerous. Uh, we, you know, put it aside, go about our life, uh, fall in love with a paladin. Maybe she entices us to pursue this map maybe there's some something some hint about the treasure would be important to her maybe she receives a vision from her deity that says pursue this right and so we steal it from home we get a crew together to go uh you know follow the map and she dies in the process we're seriously wounded we limp back home uh we've been excommunicated from our family and We've lost our title, right? We're no longer nobility. We have no family connection. Uh, we still have four siblings that we haven't defined yet, but they're, they're unimportant. So th- they might end up being helpful. Right. But I love that now we have, um, we might be bitter at dad because that's where the treasure map came from. Right. We might be bitter at our former uh, lover's deity because they're the one who sent us on this wild goose chase in the first place. Or their order. Ah. Yeah. And we could also just be bitter at ourselves because... We're the ones who had this map, mm-hmm. and that got her killed. And we should have known to say no. Yeah, yeah, but we got the, we got a gambling problem. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, you push your luck. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's the temple work that we did that gives us that boon for healing. Is you know, in pursuit of that map, uh, we were uh, the sole survivor. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The the church does feel, or that temple does feel. You know, responsible, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, not responsible enough to fix it. Sure, but, you know, not enough like, to raise her from the dead, right? Oh, that's nice. We're a first level character. Maybe we have treasure map in one hand, and we're going. Okay, do I raise funds to pursue this again? Because if we actually get the treasure, then at least it wasn't for nothing, right? Or to get a, a five hundred gold piece gem to right. raise my dead wife <laughs> <laughs> or husband, <laughs> who will then be also a level one paladin, <laughs> will not be able to adventure with us. Yeah, I love this backstory. Uh, one more thing, though, I think we need to name. Which I believe those tables are in the way back of the book. Well, I'm rolling on the Norse mail table because that was the first table that I saw on the far right margin when I uh, flipped open to a back page. I mean, if we're playing you. 62. Knud. How do you feel about the name Knud? I mean, it's a it's a good strong name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't go by Knud. And our significant other, who I believe we have determined is female. Let's go with Egyptian. G100 female names. Wow, that's a straight up double zero. Warenro. Ah, uh, yes. The the Dear. tale of Warenro Dear. and, and Knud. <laughs> Star-crossed lovers. <laughs> a rogue and a paladin of, well, she's neutral, right? Set, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the Raven Queen? <laughs> we'll take it. That's why we can't resurrect her. <laughs> right. She's mine now. <laughs> All right. So 
I mean, we can roll siblings at some other point, but I think that's a that's a pretty great backstory, honestly. Uh, yeah, it works. <laughs> it got a little <laughs> silly once we let names get involved. Yeah, maybe we tweak it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, though. Most people's names are silly. Yeah. All right. So if you've got a copy of Xanathar's, you can do this on your own. But if you don't, there are plenty of other places uh, where you can get tables, even if they're not officially in the RPG that you're running. Yeah, so we'll include a link in the show notes to um, Paizo's character generator as well as the Donjon NPC generator. Both of those are great. And then uh, also just as fun uh, for short little ditties about who your character is, there is who the fuck is my D&D character.com. Here, I'm going to I'm going to roll it. Um I am an amicable human rogue from the Dungeon Inspectors Guild, local number 422, who was kidnapped by cultists. Oh, I'm a cool-headed tiefling fighter from a high-class brothel who is in so far over their head that they can't help but laugh. Oh, that sounds pretty great, actually. And the Paizo tables, the link that we're providing actually has a backstory generator where it'll do all the ruling, rolling for you and just sort of spit it out. I, for example, just uh, rolled up a dwarf whose father is dead and mother is alive as one older male sibling, also a dwarf, but turns out he's adopted... His birth parents were yeomen, and his adopted parents are tradespeople. Oh, and as a child, I died. Yeah, see, I don't I don't like having it auto-roll for you, because some of the fun of this process is looking at the possible outcomes on the table, and then sort of choosing the one that fits a little better, you know? And like, yeah, also, as a child, I died. I got, I got better. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got resurrected. Great. Um, I, although I am... 100% sure that not too long from now, or maybe it already exists, I don't know, uh, someone is going to put together a backstory generator for Xanathar's Probably. where you can just do it online. So as we're wrapping up here, there are a couple other variations on random backstory games. Yeah, right? you can, as a as a table, as a party, you can merge your backstories together in, in a lot of interesting ways. Like, for example, you could all be siblings. Just pick a race. Everyone pick a race. And then you jointly figure out what your childhoods were like, or at least what your home life was like, and then, you know, determine your own life path from there. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe we haven't seen each other in 20 years, but, you know, from ages 1 to 17, it was it was the same. Right. Uh, you can also do everyone as coworkers, which works well for basically any job, including yeah. military units, rogue <laughs> trader vessels, pirate crews, um, thieves guilds, etc., yeah, you could be all the same class. Uh, you know, everyone's a fighter, but everything else about us is different. Or it could just be, you know, we need a fighter, a rogue, a cleric, and a wizard. Right. Um, I like everyone is edgelord, which is uh, roll whatever you want, but everyone gets a tragedy or two, and you roll for your tragedy. Yeah, this is uh, this is very good for those Mary Sue characters. Uh, yeah, it also helps, especially if you have someone who just really wants to have such a tragic backstory. You say, okay, okay, you can have a tragic backstory, but you don't get to pick your specific tragedies. Right. You roll on this table and you just go with those, okay? Um, then there's also everyone has someone. So everyone has to have that special character that uh, means so much to them that grants them solace no matter what's going on in the world whether that's a parent or a sibling or a loved one or a mentor or a caretaker or whomever yeah you roll that person randomly 
Um, I I like this idea a lot because, you know, when we play Knights Black Agents, it's one of the uh, things you need to select about your character. They're your super spies fighting vampires. But there is one person who you will do anything for to keep them safe or keep them out of harm's way. Yeah, the person you run back to when the world is getting just too crazy, uh, whether that's a lover or a bartender. Not important. <laughs> or or both or at both. the same time. <laughs> it's the Jessica Jones story. <laughs> All right, so what are some pitfalls for rolling random backstories? Uh, They can get out of hand. If you roll really poorly or really well um, multiple times, like the especially if they have mechanical benefits, they can just keep stacking, and and you end up with a character that might not even have a reason to continue adventuring. Mm -hmm. Or even if you just get, you know, 11 siblings, and we roll all of them, and, you know, okay, one is a noble, and one is a rogue, and, one, you know, it, it just sort of gets a bit silly after a while. Yeah, we use these tables to generate a character for Birthright, and eventually I just stopped honoring what Cam was rolling for the status of their sibling and started <laughs> killing them. Because it was definitely going to be more interesting to find out how and why they died than it was to have another, like, you know, web of relationships added. Right, random NPC. Yeah, didn't he roll, like, eight siblings? Eight siblings, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know, or if you start rolling names and you get weird-sounding names. Also, I think in Dark Heresy, I twice rolled the name Tyrus for two uh, characters, one after the other. Yeah. And I was like, all right, get a Tyrus it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other thing is, if these are giving you mechanical outcomes on these rolls, uh, you can end up with wide swings of power um, between members of your party, which can just make the game less fun for somebody who's not as mechanically competent. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I think um, Eclipse Phase's Life Path character generation specifically says these are not going to be balanced characters that you get. Uh, They'll be probably within a range, but it's quite possible you just get someone who rolled really well on everything. Yeah, which is um, frustrating a lot of times. Like, either to be that character who can just do everything or to be a character who feels like even at the thing you're supposed to be good at, I'm not the best at it. Like, I don't even have a niche. All right, so speaking as someone who in general doesn't like random character creation, I've got to say that randomizing some elements of backstories has been a ton of fun for me and actually a a bit of a revelation because typically I, I mean, I came from the I will write four pages of backstory and tell you, you know, exactly what happened every month of the last five years and, you know, pick a birthday and what my sign is and all of that, which is honestly sometimes just too much for uh, a GM to absorb having a, just a few notes while still having something very interesting or, or five something very interesting things happen is a, a sort of nice succinct way to build a character that feels like they actually have a history. I also like having random backgrounds. I think it helps sort of keep my characters fresh. So I'm not always playing the same brand. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> But I will say sort of the the challenge that I always have is paring it down to useful information, uh, which is why I try and combine outcomes, right? So if two things could be linked, I try to link them together so that I end up with sort of, you know, two or three bullet points that I can hand to the GM to say, hey, here's my character. Here are some hooks. Here are some things I've defined. Um, I kept it easy for you. Instead of, hey, here are 37 bullet points and all of these are important to me and don't pick the wrong one. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? 
Uh, well, let's see. We are in Manhattan. Um, so I'm going to say that this is, let's just go with grassland. I think we are probably early levels, right? Levels, levels six to 10 where we have some experience under our belt, which means that that was 2d4 scarecrows. Um, okay. While you finish uh, fleshing out the background of each and every one of those scarecrows <laughs> and their creator, I'm going to move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Armored Arcana. Everyone knows when you're faced with a spellcaster, you geek the mage. Kill the wizard first. Mm-hmm. But if you are leafing through some of the options from Xanathar's Guide, uh, there are some things in there that make it a lot harder for you to do that. Okay. Yeah, so today we're exploring a few synergies and combining a few... Uh, of the subclasses from Xanathar's that we actually found were not as powerful as we'd prefer. So, what is the Armored Arcana? It is War Magic Wizard 17, Oath of Conquest Paladin 3. So, like we said, uh, War Magic is was kind of eh, as was Oath of Conquest Paladin. Actually, we didn't like Oath of Conquest. No, I didn't like Oath of Conquest. I did not mind War Magic because, you know, I, I get the point of not failing constantly concentration checks yeah but the two of them actually kind of pair nicely together so like you said from war magic wizard uh you get an at will little mini shield right as a reaction you can increase your ac and your saving throws at level 10 you get a nice little ac and save bonus while you're concentrating on a spell now in our review you noted that the real reason for this class feature is it enables you to maintain your concentration right right so you've got a higher uh, AC, it's less likely that you'll get hit, it's less likely that you'll fail a save, so you probably won't have to make that concentration check in the first place. Right, and then the the cost of your mini shield is, of course, you have to cast a cantrip on your next turn. You can't cast a regular spell, but most of your spells should be concentration. You can only concentrate on one at a time, so that's a relatively small cost for a character who's maximizing concentration use. Right, so we're trying to take the negatives and sort of turn them into... a bonuses that we can use elsewhere so we're actually using concentration to gain specifically the defense bonus we want to be concentrating on a spell all the time so that we we can be harder to hit (laughs) yes and we need to find something else to do while we uh, can only cast a cantrip so one way is you could buff your cantrip way off the other is don't cast a spell hit things with your sword that's right paladin so from Paladin, we in a nice tidy package, we get heavy armor and shield, and we can pick up the defense fighting style, and level one Paladin spells gives us access to Shield of Faith, which is a concentration spell that increases your AC by two. And then when combined with the War Wizard at level 10, you'll bump that to four. That's right. And it also gives us something to do when we're stuck with those cantrips, which is drop a fifth level smite. Right. Because you only need to save first level slots to get your shield of faith back up if you lose it. Uh, Plus, uh, at level three, Oath of Conquest gets the really great channel divinity guided strike, which is a straight up plus 10 
to an attack roll, which you can use after you've already rolled the attack roll. So, you know, you are mainly a wizard. Uh, you're probably not going to have very high strength or dexterity. So when you are trying to smite, you might miss. But with a plus 10, you won't. Yeah, and then in terms of spells for this, we will, of course, be taking haste because that gives you an extra 4 to AC yeah. and an extra attack. Yeah, plus 2 plus the plus 2 bonus. Uh, and then all different kinds of concentration spells that where bad things happen if you lose concentration are much much safer with this build, like flight. Mm -hmm. It's just so much less likely that you're going to lose concentration on your flight spell. Or I'm thinking of, uh, I know Unearthed Arcana has been toying with those summoning spells where very bad things happen if you lose concentration. Right. The the demon summoning spells? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, For feats, uh, I think human's probably strong here because we want to start as early as possible with Warcaster. Uh, Resilient Khan, obviously, is also great. So we're looking at a base AC of 18 with plate armor, two from our shield, plus one from defense fighting style, plus two from shield of faith. Uh, If we drop a reaction, we get another plus two from arcane deflection. Uh, At level uh, 10, we're going to have durable magic for another plus two, which gives us a straight up pretty much constant 27 AC. Yep. And of course, if you need to, you can always use the shield spell as a reaction for one spell slot and that'll get you to a 30 ac instead plus you'll also have a nice juicy plus six to saving throws that's uh i don't know that's pretty good yeah <laughs> feel feel pretty safe also you get wish right <laughs> <laughs> so you can wish you were a little bit taller or a baller if you will so in leveling order i think you want to start paladin first then go wizard five finish out your paladin and then finish out wizard So Shane, who is your Armored Arcana? She's a paladin who's been burned before. Um, By a rogue lover? (laughs) (laughs) By a shield of faith that wasn't quite strong enough. You know, Ah. it's like, like faith, I believe in it. Um, It's important to me. It's who I am. It's why I serve. I mean, Um, you gotta have faith. But it is not the only thing that I'm going to rely on for defense. Uh, So a little bit of the paranoic, right? But um, the first time she used shield of faith, and found it wanting she said no there has to be a better way out there i'm going to research this and she went into the arcane arts to pursue that um and now she is uh, a turtle <laughs> a war turtle if you will <laughs> a regular a, blastoise a, a, a spell turtle yeah <laughs> how about your armored arcana my armored arcana is uh a spell tyrant. Uh, she's not a very nice person. Uh, and she knows that people don't think she's very nice. So she knows that she is the target of assassination attempts, coups, all those sorts of things. Uh huh. What she really wants is to just practice her magic in peace, be it a bit of necromancy here, some, you know, minor dominations over there, delayed blast fireballs, what have you, right? Like everything in pursuit of, of the arcane. But adventurers keep you know, storming the tower, adventurers keep trying to geek the mage, and it's really bothersome. So she says, you know what, I'm not I'm not gonna let them get get to me. I'm gonna encase myself in uh, you know, a huge suit of armor, obviously, you know, svelte black. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean black or darker black. <laughs> oh, right, of course. Tactical black. Right. <laughs> I mean, you gotta have the tactical turtleneck underwears, otherwise it chafes. Yeah, yeah, that's basically padding. It's so baffling as well. Right. 
Um, and yeah, she she suits up for battle and for research in the same way. Puts on that armor, straps on that shield, um, and casts a few wards around her to make sure that no one is going to stop her her plans. So she strides out into the field, throws out a few control spells to make sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, if things get hairy, she whips out the sword and starts channeling magic through that as well. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because um, this build really does make a lot of sense for the battlefield champion mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. Like the the lead from the front kind of hero, right? Like uh, like Ajax, right? I think this makes a lot of sense for um, where you're you're doing the things using your control spells to sort of keep um, a phalanx of, of soldiers functioning, right? Uh, but at the same time, like if you were challenged one on one, you expect to win that fight, and you've got some tricks up your sleeve to make sure you do. Yeah, I love compelled duel on this build. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it nicely um, handles a lot of the problems of a big tanky armored fighter which is okay they're fighting at range well great i disintegrate uh oh they're flying great so so am i right okay before we wrap up we just want to take a moment and thank our patreon supporters yeah your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill and also available at patreon.com slash total party thrill is the character creation forge codex which our uh, patrons have unlocked through their uh, continued support so at the 200 dollars level um, we have completed that and right now the armored arcana is sitting right in it you can also help us out by leaving us a five-star review on itunes and if you do we'll read it on the air so we have a new one uh this is great rpg podcast by zaki 88 or maybe Zach Y88. Either way, you should take it away. This is a great podcast for any player or GM looking to improve their game. I find the hosts to be amusing and funny while covering a broad range of topics that can fit into most RPGs. I know my GMing has improved thanks to Total Party Thrill. You guys are great. Please keep podcasting. From upstate New York, which I believe is Westchester. Right. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about filling the room. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Whirling Dervish. Well, that's it for episode 122 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.